Hi, girl. Podcast segments pulled and edited by Nesworks. Now that sounded good. It's not bad. It's not bad for a high school boy. You think I came here dressed like this for a friendly get together? Yeah, you. You. I'm like, what? I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Okay, kids, you're in for a real treat today. Fresh in the mix. Yeah, boy. Well, with that being said, look who just fell into the nest pod. Mark Cotto, aka DJ Psychotto, former DJ of Wall Jam Productions, the Penthouse Lounge, Sports World, just to name a few. Thanks for being my second guest, my man. What up, what up? Hey man, it's my honor. All right, all right, all right. Well, you know, before we, you know, dive into this DJ world. Let's talk about the beginning for you, the musical influences. Uh, do you you want to start with how you got into the music, or do you want to just jump right into the infamous MC Little Rod boombox battle? <laughs> um, let's we'll start out how I got into the type of music that I've been into pretty much my whole life, um, which is you know R and B, hip hop. Um, so how I really started to like the music is actually when my parents had bought like a first couple of albums. One of the first albums that I was uh, introduced to when they were buying records, um, you know, after I was born was basically Earth, Wind and & Fire and The Average White Band. Those are like two of the ones that I tend to lean toward to because I liked, you know, the way they sounded, and I, I liked the rhythm of, of them. So uh, that's how I kind of really got into listening to their music first, and then from then I kind of went and, you know, was kind of following what was the most popular music of the day as I grew up. Hey, dude, so this is a standard question I like to ask everybody. Do you know what the yep. first music that you bought vinyl or whatever maybe it was a cassette or an eight track to really date <laughs> ourselves but do you remember the very first music uh item that you bought um i think it was it was like a a k-tel record something like it was like 1976's greatest hits <laughs> <laughs> and it had some weird stuff on it like the streak was on there and Oh, the yes, they'd call the, it the streak. Don't. Man, there was some streaking yeah. going on in the Seattle area back then, too. You know, you touched on Earth, Wind & Fire. That was my first purchase, was two albums back-to-back. Uh, -back. Earth, Wind & Fire, all-in-all -all album, and Steely Dan, uh -huh. Asia. Nice. Oh, man, I was, I was totally rocking to Black Cow, dude. 
And then it shows up later, as we'll get into it down the road, how this whole sampling thing popped up and how we're always identifying with the old school cuts. Okay, so yeah. anything else you want to touch on as far as your musical influences with your folks and the neighborhood? You grew up in uh, the Rainier, it'd be a Rainier Beach area. So definitely Beach area. strong urban influence going on and your classmates yeah. right around South Shore School and then... You ended up being bust to self, and you, you uh, so you and MC Little Rod will evolve that story as we hit the penthouse lounge in your DJ evolution. He did he go to your same school, your junior high as well? Um, Rodney went to the same junior high, but we knew each other since probably grade school. Um, we both uh, played in a recreation soccer team where we got to, you know, we played together and kind of uh, got to know each other from that. And then as we went to, like, junior high and high school, you know, we've been friends quite a long time. And so how did this infamous boombox battle come about? And do you want to get into the breakdancing thing as well and why you were carrying that boombox around to begin with? (laughs) Well, the boombox battles came along because um, when we were getting bust, the, the Chief South High School, we had a bus driver named Mr. Tucker. He was a real cool cat. You know, he'd basically let us play our radios on the box where, uh, radios on the bus where a lot of other, like, drivers would, you know, tell you, hey, turn that stuff off. <laughs> um, but he would let us basically play music on our on the bus ride to and from school. So um, he was uh, very cool with that. Um, I think me and Rodney were probably the main two that had boomboxes on the bus, but there was probably like one or two other people. Um, But me and Rodney would normally have the most, you know, up-to-date music at the time. Uh, And we'd kind of battle and sometimes would kind of battle, but then I think after a while we just kind of figured out, hey, let's just take turns so our batteries don't run out. (laughs) Um, would those be d batteries oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and how many d batteries did your boombox take mine i think took about eight (laughs) oh and you know a young man on a budget that's got to set you back a bit right so you know if we were carrying the big white uh vinyl adidas bag with a shoulder strap you know what was in it (laughs) batteries and cassettes right oh yeah Okay. And the radio, because the radio fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you know, going back to some funk, so from, and I will, you know, hopefully get MC Little Rod on this podcast as well, because we're going to need some, you know, validation on, on what happened there. Now, from your standpoint, yep. you kicked it off with some Lakeside, going into Treacherous 3, which uses a sample from the Daz Band, and then Rodney just came in booming with the Fearless 4. Rocket. Oh yeah, to that to this day, I remember that <laughs> that one as as the main song he did. That <laughs> that I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> he he just lives in victory on bringing you down with that one, right? Yeah, it was a mutual back and forth, most definitely. So let's give the listeners a little taste of what this battle might sound like. So here's little young Mark Cotto kicking it off with some Lakeside. <clears throat> Come on, come on. 
alone, take the ride, there's a party over there, that ain't no job, it's live, live, it's all the way live, don't even have to run, don't even have to drive, it's live, so was there some break dancing going on during this guy? Uh, not really, not during that time. That, that was mostly, you know, fun times that we had on the bus with, with all our classmates. Taking me back to the early 80s. Yep. So we were playing a lot of the 80s uh, funk bands, a lot of Sugar Hill label stuff, Run DMC, all the, all, the, all the groups that were big at the day. Jamming fresh in the mix with DJ Psychotic. Whip, 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 whip. Ah. Take this time to introduce to you. <laughs> one by one, the treacherous threes crew. I could see you guys on the bus. Whipmaster 2, I'm special cable 2, can call me special. Whipmaster 3, LA sunshine, believe it, I'm in the flesh. Whipmaster 4, he doesn't rhyme, but he can cut it afresh. He's the DJ, he's easy lead. Give him a play, cause he cuts for the three. Uh-oh, here comes Rodney. But I'll be back for more. They hear D.L.B. <laughs> Tito. <laughs> Mike C. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Peso. B.L.B.'s rocking it, rocking it. Yes, he is rocking it. Tito rocking it. Yes, he is rocking it. Mike C. believe that that is some serious old school right there okay so dude you know really quick one thing that i like about working on the podcast thing is and the research when i was going over these songs and you know obviously lakeside and you know the dj stuff that we've been into um midnight star and all that early 80s funk stuff right it i just saw that on wikipedia it got picked up in one of the grand theft autos i think it's the san andreas version and then the Treacherous Three with the names, you know, Kumol D was in there, right? Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, when I saw, on, when I was reading that, just the, the, you know, the groundwork on it is that L.A. Sunshine and Special K, the DJ. And then it yeah. kind of reminds me of Beat Street, how they connected those characters, you know, and the DJ Kenny, the character of Kenny was called Special K, you know. And then just the names, <laughs> yeah. come on, Spoonie G. And the sample theme, I meant, you know, you got the whole Sugar Hill gang thing going on, and then Rodney coming in with the Fearless Four. And you know what? What I didn't know about Rocket, it was based on a Kraftwerk sample. So Kraftwerk being a real kind of a, what, what would late 70s, early 80s, kind of almost like an early Devo machine synthesizer sound? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and just the names, come on, DLB, Mighty Mike C., Tito, the great Peso, Crazy Eddie. <laughs> you just don't have that anymore. So um, what else do you remember about those days of just carrying around the boom box? And what, hap- what happens to you when you hear those songs? 
Oh, man, it, it brings back memories of back in the day, man, when music was fun rather than, like, political and, you know, the stuff that it is now. It's like... <clears throat> Yeah, old, old school music just brings back good times um, because it wasn't all about like you know bitches and hoes and <laughs> it was about good times and partying, man. Yeah, it's a really good point because I you know I know that we don't want to come off sounding like the grumpy old guys, but and I think that every generation goes through that with music. But there's definitely I know that it's good for my soul when I put some old school on and with all the DJ stuff and. You know, I I mentioned you in a text message when I was getting prepared for our podcast. Just that, oh man, I'm having a blast going through this music because I'm just getting all those feelings. And the one thing that really stood out to me was how many different formats that we've been through as far as DJing, and which kind of leads us to the next thing is that how we, you know, became good buddies, and I was a DJ. And I was playing at a club in the university district in uh, Seattle, Washington, which is right by the college down there, the, the, the infamous University of Washington Huskies. And it was a club <laughs> called City East. And uh, how did you hear about what was going on at City East? Well, let's see here. I used to, when that was like during the time when I was out clubbing quite a bit, um, we were hitting like, clubs down in Renton, uh, the Club Encore, um, Spinnakers before that, then before that was Castaways. You basically were finding out, hey, where's, you know, the crowd hanging out at now? And it was like changing monthly um, because like certain clubs would get hot after a while and then they would die down and then the crowd would move to another club. Um, you'd find out where that one was at, that one would be hopping off for a while, then, you know, the same thing, and that, and that one would die down, and the next one would, would become popular. Um, City East basically came up after Castaways had died down. Um, I had heard about it through uh, mutual friends, and then started checking it out with some of my other buddies, and that's where I met you, uh, DJing up there for the first time. And it's like, you know, I love the format that you guys were playing. You know me, freestyle till I die, man. (laughs) (laughs) But you were like one of the only DJs in Seattle playing a freestyle, a Latin freestyle format. Oh, man, that's just Um, a compliment. You know, to to that extent. I wear that compliment well. So, So for the people who are listening... Kind of explain, in, you know, in, in your definition, what freestyle and Latin hip hop means to you. And at that point in time in the late 80s, I think it would be 86, 87, how it was just coming yep. in to be. Well, you had groups like Expose, The Cover Girls, um, Lisa Lisa and Colt Jam, just to name a few that were the bigger ones that were getting some airplay. But um, at City East, basically, you would have uh nels playing like stevie b which you wouldn't hear on the radio um (laughs) you know it's like stuff that was getting played at the club that wasn't getting radio play but was had a good following um the only stuff you'd hear on the radio at all would be like expose and lisa lisa but uh you know you took that to the next level and we're throwing down like niobe you know, a bunch of other people, uh, freestyle artists who like Sapphire, a lot of people wouldn't even know these names, 
but you were playing the format and, and, you know, new song, new music at City East that a lot of people didn't hear but liked a lot. Oh, dude, you just warmed my heart with the Naomi reference, and I have one on deck. So let's, <laughs> let's, uh, I have a two minute little prelude of Stevie B, part of your body. Um, and let, let's give the listeners a little taste so they understand what you're talking about here. So, dude, really quick, really quick on that. So that's Stevie B off the LMR label coming out of Miami, Florida, freestyle format. I'm going to give you a little bit of juice here. Edits by Tolga and the Boy Wonder, mixed consultant, Double O Henry. And the lyrics, <laughs> oh, pretty lady, oh, pretty lady, head out to the dance floor. Don't you believe that I can rock that body like no other man has done before? That city East freestyle right there. <laughs> so did you catch that little cover girl snippet in there? Oh yeah. Okay, so you know, that's something that um I had on my on my sheet just to cover you talked about how you were younger and you were clubbing and how you got to City East. You know, you heard of this, oh, there's this new format going and you know, this is right in our wheelhouse. Let's check it out. So I think uh the Wall Jam Productions, DJ Dez. Me and Dean and a friend of ours, Kevin, went down to Florida to go watch. We had a buddy that was uh, on the crew of the Executone, which is a hydroplane crew, and he was just getting into that world. And we went down to watch him you know, do a race, and we had pit access. We jumped on a train, and we went to New York City. And we had yep. one night in New York City because we were going to travel up to upstate to watch another hydroplane race, the whole, you know, like a seafarer circuit, right? And right. we decided that we were, you know, this is, oh man, the time, the time frame, 1985, right? 20, 
three years old, I think it was. Um, and so you got a couple young guys in New York City. What are we going to do? We got to go to Studio 54. We got to check it out, right? World-renowned <laughs> Studio 54. We, we get in. You know, fortunately, we were able to get in. And it was on the tail end of Studio 54 being really big. And I'll never forget, man, I, we, we, three guys, we get in, we just go our separate ways, you know, as young men would do, right? I can, yeah. I'll never forget this dude on the dance floor and I'd never heard anything like it to where, cause you know, you're, you're used to listening to songs on radio and stuff. And I hear this DJ, you know, and I'm, I'm, the DJ's elevated up on, you know, a, a platform up high and yeah. Studio 54 was huge, right? And I'm on the floor and I'm listening to like a Madonna song because those were really big back then. And all of a sudden I'm hearing another song come in. I'm like, what? How is he doing that? And it was just blowing my mind because I was hearing a preview of the next song come into the existing song. And then, you know, New York being the number one city in the world, right, for that type of genre. I was just, my mind was blown, man. I'm like, how is that guy doing that? I want to know how to do that. So... You know, long story short, I had hooked up with Mike Joyce, who you know, and and Mike had, you know, given me a start in it and, you know, hey, get some turntables, you know, work on this, practice this. And I had gotten a couple turntables and me and Dean were getting into that mobile thing, Wall Jam Productions. And I had Mike um, was really gracious and gave me gave me my start to play Sunday night at Celebrity on it. You know, it was an off night, but it was, you know, try to get your chops going right the yeah. Chuck Ng, our friend, had saw me down at Celebrity and came up and offered me, you know, a gig at City East. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, let me come down. And and then after, you know, the so-called trial area, then I was in and I started hitting that freestyle format pretty hard because I was all into the club music and the New York thing. So what you heard in that Stevie B was you had mentioned the cover girls earlier. That was a sample of the cover girls because of you. And on the first podcast, Terry and I talked about sampling. Well, I had a, a Mirage sampler with a Casio CZ101 keyboard, and I would take those short snippets and I would play them during the breaks of the song, which kind of gets us into the next section where when you met me and, you know, you said, oh, what's that song you're playing? It's like, oh, Stevie B, part of your body. And then... Is that the point or was it earlier than that where you kind of got the fever that you wanted to become a DJ? I would say I had the fever. I probably caught it in high school, um, but didn't take it serious until after I met you. Okay. (laughs) So in high school, myself, uh, another guy named Charles Bolar, and uh, my other friend, Mark Kirihara, we were all avid vinyl collectors. And we had, a, you know, put us all of our gear together. We had a pretty good, decent system. Um, we used to do, like, high school parties at Evergreen High School <laughs> and, you know, spin the records up there. Um, it was odd that we didn't do it at our own high school, but, you know, um, our friend Charles, had was a, a student at Evergreen, and you know he wanted us to to come up there and and do it with him. So that's where I probably first got the DJ fever, and then um, when I thought about taking it more seriously, 
Um, it was after I met you at City East and when I started, you know, buying the gear and and I had already started collecting records because I loved music at that point. Um, but I didn't start getting into the gear, um, all of the DJ equipment until um, I started taking it seriously. And, you know, I figured, hey, if I spend some money now, I can make money on the back end. So that was uh, kind of how I got into it. And and part of your body wasn't the song I was asking you about though. Oh okay. It was uh, I'm dream. It was I'm dreaming of love. By oh TV. okay, that yeah. That was the one. Uh, you know what? I, yeah. I tell you what. Um, you know, I apologize for that long spiel about it, but I kind of had to get into that because um, you know, just the thing about the previews because there was another one that Dreaming of Love <laughs> had a really distinct keyboard intro, and I had that sampled too. The the cover girls one was so generic it worked almost with anything and it was oh 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 yeah. and you could just do what it you know oh 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 you know however staccato you wanted to hit on it you know you could do it and it always seemed to fit the, all the temples were the same and it kind of gets into where we'll get into the structure and the BPM beats per minute you know the the song body the break the intro the outro. Um, so, you know, I, I have, I actually have Dreamin' of Love, so let, let me just play a little bit so people hear that. It's another Stevie B song, and then we'll get into some other songs as well. Here's just a sample of Stevie B. So very similar to Part of Your Body. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, the one thing I was gonna you know add to that is that just getting into the different um, structure of music, and when you met me, and you'd come up and you'd ask me, "Hey, what song are you playing?" And then you know you kind of had an interest in becoming a DJ, and I'll, I'll never forget this. I put this in my notes too: is that my girlfriend at the time, you know, I, she was going out to the clubs a lot and she she was aware of Castaways and all that, and she she you know she yeah. kind of knew you through people. I'm like. Is that guy cool? Can I trust that guy? <laughs> so it's, here you here, here you are, one of my really good no, friends. Uh, no, well, this is it. This is the funny thing because I'm, I I kind of met you. Was it before or after Pam? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that. I was during. Yeah, <laughs> because I knew Pam through Mark Lowe back in the day, mm-hmm. and then we used to hang out a little bit with Pam and and Diana Garza. Right. I played softball with Diana Garza. And then, yeah, and then I gave Pam a ride up to City East. And then I remember you had that white Triumph, right? Oh, it was a white Fiat. A convertible? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Fiat. And she goes, oh, my, my boyfriend's here. <laughs> I'm like, who's your boyfriend? Oh, he's the DJ. I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I remember, I vaguely remember, that's kind of how we met in the first place, wasn't it? Yeah, and then you came up and you talked to me, and then I think one of the things is you did you did start asking me some questions, and and the you know the way that that I work a lot is that I like to see how serious people are, and 
once I became friends with you and, you know, you had some questions, you took it seriously and, you know, you bought some turntables and you had the gear and you had the desire and you were, you were asking the right questions. So, you know, you started to pick my brain a little bit and I started to talk to you about, you know, the standard 4-4 time and beats and intros and breaks and, you know, what you really need to do to, you know, aspire and have the passion to become a DJ, Right. Right. Where were we at when we got disconnected, the beauty of technology? Did you hear me say anything about Naomi at all? No. Oh, okay. You were talking about Pam, right? And then what's funny is then, you know, I'm not saying anything here, but then you got a spam call on your phone and then we got knocked off. But, uh, but, uh, we were, uh, yeah. So, you know, one thing I was going to say too, is I love the parking setup at city East, man. It had the parking lot and then you would take the elevator down into the club. So, you know, I, she saw my car there when you guys arrived and I was there playing obviously. And man, I could just have my record crates, go down the elevator, go to the booth. It was it was a sweet it was a sweet residency, so residency when it comes to DJing just means that you're there you know on a regular. So I had a residency meaning Friday and Saturday nights, right? Yep. Okay, so we talked a little bit about Naomi, and the one thing I wanted to say about Naomi is I'd mentioned Mike, and Mike knew the guy who did the remix on the Naomi 12 inch and his name was Bruce Forrest and he was a pioneer in the sampling field. So I'm going to give you a snippet of Naomi featuring Bruce Forrest on the sampler. (laughs) Taking me back guy. In a good way. (laughs) The Paris D remix. You know, one thing I'm uh, right now I'm recording us on a Rodecaster Pro. One thing that I love about it is it's very similar to a DJ mixing board, you know, like the old Newmark board that you have. It just has sliders yeah. and levels and channels. And that's another thing that's kind of taken me back to the whole DJ thing. 
Okay, so back back to the format of City East and how you were evolving into the freestyle. You were were you starting to collect records and starting to get your own library going? Oh yeah. <laughs> I was buying anything and everything that was freestyle at that time. Yeah, um, how many how many freestyle records do you think that you have? Quite a few. Some of them weren't as great as others, but <laughs> And Niobe, I just thought of that one because I was listening to the groove on XM Radio the other day, and they played a Niobe cut. And I'm like, oh, damn! <laughs> yeah, that's what's great about you know all the streaming services now. They they still keep that music alive. Well, the thing is, I, I know with you and me, it's like whenever you put on like some old school cuts that people haven't heard for a while, you know, it's the reaction that you get from them where it's like oh damn man i haven't heard that one in a grip now that that's a thing that makes it fun in my opinion it's medicinal guy it it does make you feel yeah. good there's something to it so let me let me just test your freestyle knowledge just break down some artists you know I, and it's been a while for us just but just whip some off really quick sweet sensations on deck <laughs> on deck uh sequel oh sequel uh, yeah, here's a really obscure one, Chrissy I. East. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> some other females I'm trying to... I know Tolga's one of them, but there was... I, I know I'm missing a big... Lizette Mendez? So there was... Yeah, Lizette Mendez. The, just in the cover girls, of course. Joyce Sims is another one, and that she was kind of fell between the freestyle slash club music. Uh, another artist, which was actually the first album I ever bought two copies of, you know, speaking of the DJ thing. So segueing into Sweet Sensation, um, and that's another special song, you know, in reference to us because at City East, I had a 45. You know, now back then, you know, just like Terry and I covered, you couldn't do the digital download thing. You could only go out and buy. And as you were an emerging DJ, and both of us did it, is that we were in record pools for a while. So if you were a working DJ and you could, you know, prove that you were in a club, then you could join a record pool and you would pay so much a month and they would give you all the promotional signals come out, uh, all the promotional yeah. singles that would come out. But now, you know, back then, I, I technically, I, I wasn't in the pool yet, so I was buying all my records. So all the freestyle coming that was coming out, you and me, you and me were just gobbling up, right? And one of the things was, is I bought a 45 and I was playing the Spanish version of Sweet Sensation, Take It While It's Hot. But I have the 12-inch on deck and the reason why I wanted to play it because, you know, when we had talked about learning about music structure, music theory, song theory, and how the songs are written, when we talk about the promotional DJ records, they all were designed for DJs to get in and out of, meaning longer intros. Break beats. Yeah, bigger yep. break beats, bigger outros. So the Sweet Sensation is going to be a three-minute clip, um, but it features a 64-bar intro, a break. And the other thing to... <laughs> yeah, I know. Then, you know, I, I want to make sure that if people are listening and don't have that aspect or think of that because when you become a DJ as you know I've said this a number of times to you and other people is that once you decide that you want to do it you start to think of music differently 
you don't like, oh, I'm just listening to that song. I really dig it. I like it. But then when you're a DJ or you're an artist or a songwriter or a musician, you think of it differently. You're thinking at the structure, how it's written. Yeah. And the DJ thing. Hey, what song mixes in good with that one? <laughs> yeah, another great point because you're trying to blend the styles, you know, that you want the <clears throat> kick patterns to be the same, you know. How how are the percussions, you know, going to mesh into each other? And and hence the DJ remixes were designed to do that. So let's fire off one of our um, freestyle favorite sweet sensation. It's time to take it like it's hot, guys. Sixty-four bar intro. have enough time to get into this one man (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah Yeah, that's. I think that says it all. Oh my God, 
Okay, let me give you a little bit of, you know, Wikipedia for that, right? And as a DJ, yeah. you're always looking at who produced it, you know, who wrote the song, who performed it. So we got the O.O. Mar Santana remix, Scratches by Eric mm-hmm. Sirius Santana, must have been his brother. The Lexi Triple X Vegas Splice by DJ Paris D. Oh, Betty. Man, I got to apologize to the listeners, actually. Did she just say to come inside, come again and take <laughs> it while it's hot? She thinks the time oh, yeah. is right. Oh, Betty. I miss you, Betty. Th- those were good times, man, when you think back to the City East. And, you know, you would have a night of that music. How? What do you recall just from the dance floor and, you know, being, you had to have been right in your mid-20s then? Is that about right? Yep. Long ass time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Getting old. <laughs> okay, so do you have anything else that you'd like to add about City East or that format? Um, and you know, with the Sweet Sensation song right there, you could really see why it was called Freestyle Latin Hip Hop. You know, it kind of had that yep. really heavy bass drop. The congos in. and, yep. And then, you know, the hip hop yep. influence. Yep. And you know the congos were pretty much in every every song, and every song had the uh, the same beat pattern. Um, you know, just to name a couple other artists was George Lamont. There you go, uh, Shayna, Will the Power. Ah, you know when when you say Will the Power, the first thing I think about what what was the name of the song? Was it Sugar Free or what was the other one that had the exact same kick pattern as? Um, erotic city and the tempos were the same and that's that's the other thing about djing is just understanding the breaks but also the tempo so to, to break, there was dreaming there it was dreaming dreamin and yeah. uh and say it's gonna rain yeah and then they had that slow cut that they sampled like a classic rock song um yeah and that's the Free other bird. thing just you know understanding the dj set and you know, a lot of the music and, you know, some of the R&B and hip hop stuff today is really down temp and yep. the Latin, the freestyle Latin hip hop be more like right medium, right around 120, a little bit faster. And then you get up into the higher BPM. And when I say BPM, BPMs, I mean beats per minute. So, yep. yeah, so that's... Hey, don't, uh, don't, don't forget that uh, Will the Power did a, a remake of Boogie Nights too. Dude, you just educated me. I don't. I don't know if I've ever heard that before. Oh, you never heard that. I'm one? gonna have to look that up. It's rare that you got me, but that's the beauty of you know being a DJ buddy is you can find a song out of nowhere. You know. Okay, so yeah. let's move on to the next segment, which would be moving into what the penthouse lounge days, or do you want to cover Wall Jam Productions? Because that's kind of a crucial situation too um i guess it would be similar to just like um you know any band or any dj thing the city ace just ran its course nothing you know just whatever was going on with management that um the crowd was great but there was just there was obviously some type of thing going on with management that they i don't know it was a family situation and then the club just ended up shutting down and you know that means that i'm out of my residency right so then yeah at what point in time did you decide or we decided that you were going to come on as part of the wall jam production crew, which is totally different, a separate issue, uh, a separate 
genre than what we're talking about right now. Then you get into the whole mobile DJ situation of providing parties. Right. I think I think we just started talking about it because you knew that I was doing my thing and I knew that you guys were doing your thing and we're like, well, hell, let's make this a bigger business and cover more ground. Um, reach out to more people by doing like the wedding shows and stuff like that, you know, at the malls and, and get more business that way. Um, and, and that was interesting because, like, you know. Different people had different type of uh, musical tastes. Um, <laughs> where a couple of them, we had to rush to get uh, some stuff pulled together for certain weddings. Like me and you weren't really that into country music, but <laughs> we've done a couple of country weddings before. <laughs> our, our, our kind of fun because, like, you see these cowboy-looking dudes, you know, big guys. That can actually get down. Yeah, they got the <laughs> line to dancing. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they got moves. I'm like, that surprised me, but hey, and they have a good time too. So that that that's what used to crack me up the most. Yeah, I think that's one of your funniest quotes when you said, "Yeah, big cowboy looking dudes pulling down the electric slide." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's totally a different animal. I meant, you know, with the mobile, and when you're DJing like that. And you know, if you're in a club or even if you're just hanging around people, there, somebody always wants to know like, oh man, you know, can your DJ friend, you know, can your DJ buddy play at my party or I got a wedding or I got this. And then at some point in time, you just go, and me and Dean, that's how we kind of got into it. You know, we would, and I'll get him on the pod too and just kind of break down the whole evolution of Wall Jam. But yeah, you you had you had the gear, you had the records, and you were you know coming into your own as a DJ, and you were really starting to get into it and playing. And the thing I think what some people might not understand is how different it is playing in a club versus playing in a party. Because like you mentioned, oh, you yeah. have to have <laughs> the ability to be able to flip on a dime and say, oh my God, I have an all country crowd. How can I make this crowd happy tonight? Or, you know, I've got yeah. an all R&B crowd tonight and they want to hear all dance music and current music. So yeah. that's a real skill set that I think, not that it goes unnoticed, it's just something that that's what's being a DJ is all about. And when we've had conversations, I said, hey man, you could be the best technical DJ in the world, but the only thing that matters is what's on that turntable next. Because that's what people are going to react to the most. Yeah, if you're not pulling the right song, then you're done. Because <laughs> you want to keep the you want to keep the, the the floor packed rather than uh, people walking off. And that's the biggest thing, especially with mobiles. I mean, people at weddings and stuff are the most I would say the most picky people as far as what you have to play next. Because you got to remember you're playing for the people, you know. A lot of DJs think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm playing this song because I like it. You might like it, but other people might not. You know, so you're playing for the popularity at this point. And and what 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 the money maker music <laughs> is, you know, that we call it the suck hole music, but it's the stuff that um, weddings <laughs> love. <laughs> Dude, do you want me to take you down the rabbit hole, the suck hole rabbit hole? You ready? Oh yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Everybody, get your notepads out. 
The Romantics, What I Like About You, Billy Idol, Moni Moni, The Beatles, Twist and Shout, Bob Seger, Old Time Rock and Roll, The Kingsman, Louie Louie, Cool in the Gang, Celebration, <laughs> Sister Sledge, We Are Family, ACDC, You Shook Me All Night Long, The Champs, Tequila, The B-52s, Love Shack, The Electric Slide. I mean, oh, yeah. and you know you can just keep going on it, but really, I mean, just having fun and ripping that off. Those are the things that are in your arsenal when you're at a mobile and let's say, like you just mentioned, your your crowd is dwindling. It's like, oh man, I got to try something to get them up. And and not that we call it the rabbit hole, you know, the suck hole rabbit hole. But at the same <laughs> time, those songs are classic and they're going to get people up, you know. And the most important thing is that at a mobile that people are having a good time and they're dancing and having fun because sometimes it's hard for people to separate themselves. The, the DJ gig is not about you. It's about the people that are at the event, right? Because you're trying to make yep. a special day for them. Oh man, I got I got to tell you about the story though. Is that <clears throat> is um you know you mentioned the country music and we're talking about having a, a wide mobile range and when you're doing mobiles, as you can attest to, and you know the awesome van. Man, I wish we I wish the viewers could see a picture of the awesome van. But you know back then you had to yeah. carry a lot of gear. You had to you had to carry your records. It's not like you're just carrying a laptop like you are today, which is great. Yeah, and a hard drive. Yeah, the evolution of technology, which is cool. But, you know, you'd have your records, three crates of records or whatever it is, and your gear and your amplifiers and your turntables. And, you know, we could could go on, you know, just on that subject for hours. But the thing I was going to touch on was you would do a lot of gigs and, you know, whether it was a hotel gig down at the Sheraton or, you know, whatever it was. And, I remember one time I got a call where I had to do a, a gig out in Salmon Lasac. You know, that not that the town where they did Northern Exposure? You know, up in the, the pass, up in the mountains up there. And I was just thinking, oh, man, this is, I got to drive all the way up there. You know, got to load up the van, da, 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 da. It turned out to be the coolest mobile I ever did. The people were so nice and they were just so gracious that you know that i'd come there and they were just having fun and they kept asking me like man you need anything to eat you need anything to drink totally opposite of like a high-end wedding where it could get a little snobby you know yeah so that's one thing that sticks out what's what's the what's a mobile gig that sticks out for you and i don't mean to put you on the spot i think it was actually i think (laughs) well there was one that I did up in Tacoma just because I had accidentally played the unedited version of CNC Music Factory. <laughs> <laughs> did you get where, where the part where the break comes and the lady goes, "Bitch, I'm gonna fuck you up." I'm like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> did you did you have some parents that you had to deal with? Some adults that was wasn't that was too... it was a non phase though. Okay, good. They, they they didn't mind. I mean, luckily, but I'm like, oh crap! Whoops, wrong wrong version (laughs) oh man what was the worst experience you had just like a nightmare one i know with you me dean and myron was a part of wall jam for a while too he would go out with we had a dual cassette deck system that myron played with um you know i gotta say is that cross you know fingers crossed is that we never had any really severe technical issues which was great Mm-hmm. The only experiences I'd say would be bad was when, I, and I don't want to get into a thing where it's like the snobby thing, but there's sometimes when people were paying a lot for a wedding, there was more expectations, yeah. you know, 
And so I just, I just had a bad experience at a really high end wedding where the people just weren't really nice. It was more of a snobby thing. I like people that just let their hair down, get loose, you know, don't really care too much and just have a good time. Right. So that's, that's the only bad experience I would say that I had. Did you have a bad one? I would have to say the worst one, (laughs) the worst one I had, was actually playing that for one of my friend's weddings. And there was this little kid wanted to hear was it mambo number five <laughs> every freaking 10 minutes i'm like dude get this get out of here <laughs> my like, dude i played it twice already you're done <laughs> yeah that's a re- that's a really good point too because you know back then you could only play what you had with you now in today's world there you know with a cell phone there are ways to pull down a, a song really quick if you need to Back then, yep. if you didn't have it, and I'm sure I'll get into this with Dean, but just the, you know, the struggle to find music when somebody was requesting some bizarre song and you didn't have it and you're trying every avenue and resource to try to track that song down, you know, 50% yep. of the time you probably wouldn't play it anyway, you know. But, you know, it goes back to the suck hole thing. Those are always songs that are going to work and they're they're just staples no matter what yeah man that, i mean i think that covers the mobile thing pretty good i meant it's uh oh we do have to we have to cover the single de mayo incident and and mr desmoni's awesome <laughs> uh, comments <laughs> okay so yeah which 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 is a perfect segue to get into our next <laughs> next section because between the city east thing you know, then we decided to do the Wall Jam Productions and we were doing a lot of mobiles. And that the Cinco de Mayo incident, which you had booked that gig, right? You would, which was yeah. an awesome gig, dude. I mean, think about it. It was a good paying gig. And how did you get that gig? Was it at the Azteca restaurant? As, Azteca, well, it's actually, it was Casa Lupita back then. Okay. Um, it's where the Azteca is in South Center now. Um. So the guy that used to be the DJ at Castaways, I knew him. His name was Chris, and his brother was the manager of the Casa Lupita restaurant, and they needed someone to play, you know, to come in there and play for Cinco de Mayo. So that's when we had, like when I had that big, 18 inch sub, um, you know, I, I, we went all out and brought all our, all our gear in there. And that's when Q 93 was just starting to get into the urban music, but they weren't fully in yet. Um, but they were doing advertising at Casa Lupita, hyping up Cinco de Mayo and all they brought with them was a couple of like truck speaker boxes, you know, that for your for your car, and like a Radio Shack receiver. And I'm kind of looking at them like, really, you guys are a radio station, and this is the stuff you're bringing, you know, to the to the to the restaurant to hype it up. <laughs> so then they come to me and ask, hey, can we, you know, run our stuff through your gear? And we kind of made a deal with them saying, hey, well, you advertise us on your radio, you know, you know, give us a shout out a couple of times and we'll let you guys, you know, do a 
you know, hi, you know, <laughs> go through our, our system to hype up the, the party. So, you know, we let that happen. They gave us a few shout outs and, um, the funny thing is that everyone kept asking us, Hey, are you guys part of cube? And, and Dean just <laughs> flew off the handle. And I, I mean, that was the funniest thing of the night is that <laughs> Dean flew off the handle and near the end of the night, he started pulling down these cube signs that they had taped up on the wall. Yeah. So along with their radio shack, Tandy receiver, they brought a lot of posters. Yeah. They, they brought like a bunch of signs. Cube 93, Seattle's hottest music. Yep. And we're taping it all around. Yeah, there's like, I would say about 15 to 20 signs surrounding the wall jam sign that was hung up. <laughs> and as the night went through, you could just tell Dean is just totally flaming because people <laughs> kept asking, hey, are you guys part of Cube? And then as people, more and more people kept asking him, they kept pulling more and more of their signs down. And one of the... Um, one of the reps for Cube came over and said, hey, you can't pull that down, you know, and that just sent them off the handle even worse. So then finally, Dean gets on the mic and goes, in no way are we motherfucking affiliated with Cube 93. <laughs> it, me and you were just dying at that point. We were just cracking up because he was like flamed at him. Yeah, and the context, you know, just to add a little bit to the story is that so you were hired to do the entertainment, meaning, you know, Wall Jam Productions, DJ Mark Cotto, right? Yep. AKA DJ yep. Psychotto, was playing all the dance music and you set up your booming system and you had it going on, not to mention the experience, you know, of the club music and you had the dance floor going and it was packed and I was, you know, stepping in and, you know, taking turns with you and playing and Dean was, you know, who works at UPS came in after work on that day, right? Said, oh yeah, I'll come down <laughs> and hang out with you guys, you know, check it out. Yeah. And uh, they were doing a radio remote, meaning they were saying, oh yeah, they, they were obviously hired by the restaurant to say, oh yeah, it's Cube 93, Seattle's hottest music down here at the restaurant. And oh, we got it going on. And then they just started blowing it up, you know, like, oh yeah, we're really kicking it. And they're like, like they're doing the whole show. And that's where he really started steaming. That's where his uh, nostril started to flare up a little bit and then he got on the <laughs> mic and said we are in no way affiliated with Cube 93 <laughs> yeah that one had me that had me rolling he's like cause at the end of the night he was like dude you okay <laughs> <laughs> And then the other memorable mobile that I recall that you did was when you played at your was it the high school reunion for self and I, I told, I said, oh, dude, I'm going to pretend I'm one of your classmates tonight. And I didn't have a name oh, tag. Oh, no, that on. was Rainier Beach. Oh, Rainier Beach. Rainier okay. Beach, yeah. And that was downtown Seattle, right? And you said, hey, do you want to come? I think and so, yeah. I'm, I'm playing at my reunion. Do you want to come down? And was it your 10-year reunion? Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think it was a 10-year reunion for Rainier Beach High School. Yeah, and I just, I remember just, you know, goofing around, just being silly, saying, oh, yeah, I don't have a name tag on. And then when people would come up and say, oh, hey, how you doing? I say, yeah, I remember you. I ran track. I, You know, I was on that yeah. relay team. <laughs> that was a good night. You don't remember me, white chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny is that... um. We can get into that white chocolate here in a bit. We're moving into the moving into the penthouse lounge. You know, one thing that I wanted to, you know, just as we were talking about the the Cinco de Mayo story, it kind of it kind of, you know, triggered me to think about, 
you know, your influence with K Fox Radio and DJ Nasty Ness and Video Soul, yeah. you know, Donnie Simpson. And that's really where the driving force of, you know, where you would listen to your music. If you were in Seattle, you knew of K Fox, you knew of, you know, Chris. You, th- those were the stations that we'd be listening to trying to cop whatever the new music was. So whenever we'd get into a situation where there was a little bit of, well, we don't understand why you're playing it. We don't understand why you're doing this. There's a different mentality between Top 40 Radio and what you're doing in clubs. And yeah. there's always seems to be a confusion. You know, I was I had a gig where I was playing at Spinnaker's, and I was got called into a meeting where somebody was monitoring what I was playing. And they said, you know, you played way too much Bobby Brown tonight. And then they, they held up some... Uh, pie chart and I got I always laugh about this I got fired because I played too much Bobby Brown like okay that was too hard (laughs) for you you know because but yet he blows up you know (laughs) yeah and Bobby Brown you know as far as the the music and BBD and all all that stuff really came into hard and that kind of gets back to your cube radio story to where you know okay now you're taking credit for this you know, hip hop music that is really coming into its own. And you've said you always been there. You've never been there for us, you know? So that's, so then coming into the penthouse lounge, we were doing the mobiles and, you know, you, you go into that thing because that you were a main driving force in how that thing came together. So how did you meet the infamous Ron Beltran, Art So, (laughs) DJ Soho, um, how did that all come about? Well, let me go back a little bit first. So I remember in Seattle, like I, like I, like I always tell you, the, the main thing with Seattle radio is that we're not diverse enough. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, they might say, okay, hey, we're this urban, you know, urban music radio station, but you listen to them and they play the same stuff, you know, every hour on the hour the same song and even the old school ones, they don't go back as far as 1980s when they had the best bands playing live music. Um, that's my gripe with Seattle radio. It brainwashes everyone that listens to it. That's why I'd rather li- listen to XM radio, you know, the groove and the heat and stuff where you're not hearing the same song every hour on the hour. And, DJs in Seattle were basically the ones that I listened to. Um, I wasn't really, when I first started, wasn't really hip on, like, you know, DJ Qbert and some of the other guys that were in California or New York, but, like, Nasty Ness, um, Paris D, <laughs> um, Robin Summarize. You know, just to name a few of the local Yeah, and guys, we, and we uh, got to throw Mike Joyce in there because Mike Joyce being yeah, a pioneer at Club Broadway, yeah. teen club, that was definitely hitting that format early. And that's, and, you know, like I mentioned, had helped me get started. And, and I was in yeah. awe when, you know, I kind of listened to his format. And that's, you know, we, we talked about the Latin hip hop freestyle thing, but... You know, man, when I when I heard the Joy Sims get on the turntable, I was like, "Oh man, I got to get that record." <laughs> Went out and bought two copies. And and and, and uh, last but not least, and uh, not forgotten is Eddie Wells, DJ Sugar Bear. Yeah, man, what was the you club know, in Renton? Encore. Encore. I did. I I did lights at Encore. Had a stint doing yeah. lights for DJ Donovan. I think it was. 
<laughs> you got to pay your dues, yeah, man. Eddie you and I worked together for a little bit. Yep. I worked with Eddie for a little while, so that was that was pretty cool um, to get to know him personally. Dude, I'm sorry. Did um, did something happen to Eddie? He passed away. Oh yeah. So rest in peace, Eddie. Man, yeah. You know, I yeah. I remember Eddie Wells. Um, you know, we had a DJ contest. I think it was down in the Paramount, and he played in it, and Mike played in it. And, I played in it, and it, it was cool, you know, just one of those things when, you know, the DJ thing was really starting to happen, and it was that movement, you know. And to to, yeah. to go back with the Seattle thing, just to, to touch on what you are saying, is that I think it was weird for us because Seattle being, and especially now, I mean, it's a major market in the States, and it just doesn't seem like when you're in other cities like Los Angeles or New York or Phoenix, for example— the radio stations right. are just a lot better. You know, there's so much more to grab from. So that's why we kind of always had an attitude with Cube. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. the, the thing breaks out at Cinco de Mayo. And, you know, Dean was basically just, you know, exactly, you know, speaking up for the way we felt. You know, it was just yeah. a, an outlet of how we were all feeling because, you know, and we'll get we'll get into that other story down the road. So keep tuned for the the East Side Annex story. So so with <laughs> with that with that being said, you know, then you know you met Ronnie and Art, and and then you started going into a new phase that I also became a part of. But tell you know just how did that all come about? How did you get contacted by those two? I'm I'm curious to know. I know we've been through this before, but I've forgotten how that actually even came about. Well, with Ronnie and Art. Um, I used to play basketball with them over at this uh, this one church off of Orcas. And then, uh, you know, we got to talking about business after a while because those guys knew that, that I had gear. And um, basically the music, the gear, and the contacts of other people that we could pull in. Um, they had, you know, had checked out the club scene and, Basically, we're hungry to kind of get started in the business um, of, like, doing promotion and, you know, basically running the club. Um, so Ronnie had gotten together with, like, the manager of the Holiday Inn at the time in Renton, and they had a bar upstairs called the Penthouse Lounge that wasn't used very often um basically people went up there to have a few drinks you know but there wasn't really a whole lot going on so they gave the idea to the manager and said hey what if we turn this into a club we make everything from the door and you guys make everything from the bar um so we had come to that agreement with them and uh you know had a little run there pretty for for a while <laughs> that was pretty good um, but it, it came down to basically what our format was. Um, you know, they thought that we were too street, I guess you would call it. <laughs> a little too urban. <laughs> and, and, and we're bringing in a rough crowd. Um, hey, you, you know, know at times I would say. I got to defend you in that though, because. We actually didn't have a rough crowd. We had a really, there's something that you work really hard for in the nightclub business is to get an upscale adult crowd. 
And we definitely had that at the penthouse lounge. I mean, it was so cool. Just a bunch of older people that, you know, and when I say older, I mean, you know, during that time it was, you know, 30s, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah. And they just dug the music and they were, you know, really loyal to saying, oh, we love coming here because we love the format, you know? Right. I think later on, though, is when it got a little bit rougher just because... The volume of people. You know, it's that's a really yeah. good point. You know, one thing that I wanted to, you know, reliving that story is I totally forgot about this, but Ronnie was a baller. Ronnie was a... He was a um, a travel uh-huh. agent. And that's how yep. he knew the, the guys from the penthouse lounge because he would go up there for lunch and whatnot because he had an office in Renton. So, and obviously yep. he was good buddies with art. So they decided, and they knew you. So I, I'll never forget this because we talked about wall jam and I was sending out a bunch of, you know, promotional flyers, you know, wedding business type of stuff like, Oh, you know, do you need a DJ type of thing? And you at the time talk about being a baller, you had a laser printer. And I, <laughs> I said, dude, could I come down and use your laser printer? Cause I got a bunch of envelopes to send out for wall jam. You're like, yeah, no problem, dude. And he said, I'm meeting with some fellas tonight. And I said, Oh, cool. I'll, I'll come down. And that's when Ronnie and art were there and you guys put together the Halloween bash. I think it was 1992, the penthouse Halloween bash. And yeah. Yeah. And you'd said, Hey man, you know, do you, what are you doing? Do you want to come, you know, help out and play? And I'm said, Oh yeah, cool. I'll come down. And, and we, I can remember me and you put together the system and, you know, speaking of that, do you remember the, I wonder what the code was for installing lighting, man. We had so many cords going everywhere. Yeah. We used like speaker wire and clip on <laughs> plugs. I'm like, I was surprised the fire department didn't come in and close us down because of how Mickey Mouse that thing was. <laughs> Nothing that was really extravagant or expensive, but it was enough to pull off a pretty cool light show. We had those those what were they like little moon balls on top of some plywood stands we had made and we had our yeah. turntable set up on a stage and i think overall the the halloween bash went pretty good with the exception of the headphone incident i can't remember if that was on the first night though it was the halloween bash dude because the girl was dressed up as elvira because <laughs> the halloween bash was i think was our first night, and if that went off well, I think the agreement was, okay, we would be up there for a while. I think we went went in there to the penthouse lounge with the agreement that we were going to do a one-time party and see how that went, and if the mm-hmm. management liked it, then then he would let us, you know, roll with it um, on a weekly basis after that. Yeah, and being that you had mentioned that you had had a lot of contacts and um, Ronnie and Art, and it was a big party. It yeah. was successful. And obviously they saw what they were going to do at the bar because there was over a hundred people there. And I don't know at the penthouse, how many people would we pack in there on a regular basis? Was it 200? <laughs> more, more than we were supposed okay, to. Okay. So, but, but it was right around <laughs> 200, right? That's all the, that's all it yeah, could house. So. so that's the max capacity. I think it was. Yeah. So the one thing about the, the headphone incident that I was touching on and just joking you, ribbing you a little bit about is that one, one, one thing that when we were talking about having something on the turntable next is the most important thing. When you're DJing like that, and it's different if you're programming all your stuff in advance, but when you're just spinning records like we did back in the day, you have a three to four minute deadline, depending on what song you're playing and how you're doing it, 
no matter what, you have to have something done in those next couple minutes, you know, especially if you're into the mixing and all, you know, you, you got, you got some type of program that you're trying to do. And all I remember is that there was a girl that was dressed up as Elvira and she had passed out on the table and was on my headphones. And I was like, dude, I need to get to those headphones. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all I remember. Yeah. That. I had to pick her up and remove her from the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the one thing that we are talking about with the cube radio and the format is that that's a little bit of a situation that we ran into at the penthouse because, you know, we were going to do our thing. We were playing a R and B format, you know, rap was coming up during the penthouse time, you know, it was right when the Dre thing started to happen and there was a really a lot of, you know, how would you term it? You know, just kind of hip hop dance that was really starting to break in the clubs. And we were right on top of that. So you had a really strong R and B rooted format with some hip hop combined. And then with me and you obviously taking it back to the old school, you know, I'll, I'll give a quick sample of an intro of a song that we played at the penthouse all the time. Yeah. Man, it's Friday night. Club's starting to jump. MC Little Rod's on the mic. Beat down, brother, check it out. I'm about to throw down. Taking hand, this shit that has your toe down. A little city, chilling in the North Bay. It looks the same. My boys don't play fool. Yorker side, and you know how the song goes in the back. Sipping purple chongos, don't look for trouble, but it always seems to find us. Forty gripping panties, sipping, and it seems to right behind us. Quick left, one blow, KO. Hit the road to the next episode. In the saga of a few fellas. Oh, what the hell? I guess I better tell ya. It's Friday night, I got a brand new kit on. I bet the heat for me to get bent on. Hit the country cup to pick up ML 80 West. Back to the hotel. Here's the song. Paris T gets called in by management. Uh, you're playing uh, too much rap and hip hop there, guy. This right here is a huge song at the penthouse lounge. Two copies, instrumental, back and forth. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Compton and Long Beach together, now you know you in trouble. Ain't nothing but a G-Fang, baby. Too low depth, make us over crazy. Death Row is the label that pays me. Unfadeable, so please don't try to fake this. But uh, it's like this and like that and like this, Santa. It's like that and like this and like that, Anna. Yeah, this is something fucking for the non Another fact I try to get them to. I'm the one to Get your place of mind all night until the next day. Look, do the ditty again. Roll to me, cause being like a city if I want to do the ditty again. Roll to me, cause being like a city I got one more jam coming for you guys. 
take you back or what <laughs> one thing you can't forget is back to the hotel uh you know one thing that really sticks in my mind would be swv rump shaker hip-hop hooray so let's just jump into another one another paris d edit Feel like you're at the penthouse, guy? <laughs> hey man, I'm, I'm gonna bring in a song that that <laughs> that we were playing there. I think when we first started. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this one. Okay, hold on. We'll let we'll, we'll let this roll, and then then you then you bring that in, okay? Yeah. It's gonna end here in a minute or so. Hip hop, this is hip hop of the day. I get props to hip hop, so hip hop, hooray! 
so crazy. Noise. I had to throw those DJ tricks in there right at the end. Okay, so yeah. you said you're going to bring in another song to the so, format there? Yeah. So this is, this is uh, we were playing this before Joe even got big. Oh. Um, but this is like one of the songs that we first started with at the penthouse. So it was a... Uh, it was one of our favorites. Oh, you're this. Original lover man, Joe. And Danny Brown, man. Come forgive the girls, so. Come and get it. Round and round, man. Hey, hey. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. You know, it kind of gets back to the the format thing that we're talking about. So we, it's always, you had mentioned that the Penthouse Lounge, which was in a hotel chain that, you know, they wanted to up their business a little bit. And it's a fine line between saying, oh yeah, we can just put 50 people in here or we could put 300 people in here. You know, it's, you, yeah. you don't have the exact dial or knob to control that. So we started to blow up and you know, they, they were happy, you know, obviously getting the drink situation going on there, but it started to become very crowded. And I I was, when I was working on my notes, putting this together, I just thought about the infamous meeting that the bar manager and all the people that worked at the penthouse were cool. And there was a great camaraderie with the people that were the existing clientele there. The first ones that come to mind would be Ralph and Nancy and then, of course, we can't leave out the other two members of the crew that came on, which one had, you know, we talked about your connection with the battle, the boombox battle, was MC Little Rod. You know, we were yep. so focused on the DJing, and Rodney, who has such a great personality and was a crowd guy, we brought him on as an MC, and we gave him a mic, and we just let him run rickshaw through the club and just say, hey, dude, just hype up. And he was kind of like a hype man for us. But another reason why I think that the crowd grew so well, and then the, and the, the other member was Kiki Walker, the boss talker, who, you know, Kiki, I'd love to get Kiki on because then he can tell his story about how he got involved. But he initially came on and he would do photographs for us. And he had asked Ronnie and us, you know, hey, you know, is it cool if I take pictures? And for us, we had such a great crowd. It's like, yeah, of course we want you to take pictures and be part of our crew. And he was an aspiring rapper, and we can get to the whole thing with him, you know, and the rap stuff that, you know, as we decided that we weren't going to be there. But to get my point about all this was then there was some disagreement with what was going on with the format and we had to have a meeting. So this takes me back to the thing about you're playing too much Bobby Brown, right? And so yeah, we yeah. have this meeting and, you know, I it's been a while. So if I miss any of these details, if I'm wrong, you just, you know, pipe in, right? But they were questioning some of the songs I was playing. And one of the songs they were questioning was DOS effects. They want effects. And they're like, well... Yeah. We looked on the Billboard 100, and we don't see DOS effects anywhere on this, so we don't understand why you're playing this. And 
you're really playing a atomic dog a lot and why why we don't see that on there either and i'm like i'm just looking at you are they really saying this to me right now and you're coming <laughs> at me for a format to where we're putting people in here we have a great crowd and you're gonna start to try to dissect my dj format and <laughs> And all I can remember, and I, I, I don't want to be laughing at this, but at one point in time, the manager was crying. And I looked at you like, it, is she crying? It, you know, and I, I just, I, it was so far out of my realm. Like, what is happening here, you know? So, so what's your take yeah. on that whole scenario? I mean, musically, we were ahead of the game as far as like radio stations went, um, we were breaking stuff off before the radio stations had it because the public basically knew what was going on more than the radio stations. Um, you know, they knew what was hot, they knew what was hidden. And as soon as we can get our hands on the, on the, on the record, you know, we were playing it first before the radio stations broke it off. Um, from the business standpoint, you know, we're playing old school, we're playing new school, but from the business standpoint, I could understand um, the Holiday Inn's management side of it, not because of the format, but because it was causing issues down in the lobby. Yeah, explain. so explain um, that. We, you know, during when we became popular, when our group was so popular, it was lined up out of the elevator that went up to the penthouse lounge and then outside the front door um, with people waiting to get in the club. That affects their business. So, you know, I can understand that side of it, too. Yeah, so just to, um, to give a quick demographic breakdown of what was happening is that it was, like you mentioned, it was located, I think it was on the fifth floor, and it was a yep. like a sky sky bar, right? in his older hotel and it the only access to the location was through one elevator so we would yeah. be putting you know 200 <laughs> to 300 people in the club and obviously they need to wait for the elevator to get up there what is it now red lion inn or something i don't even know that's right by your house man i'm down in az i uh, know i can't i can't i think i think it's a red lion inn and I think we kind of take credit for the penthouse lounge being tore down <laughs> just because after a few years of us not being there, they, they removed the club from the top of the building. So I think maybe that was because of us. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's not necessarily that's like, like a great point or anything, but it also it brings me to the spot to where, you know, there was Ronnie, Art, you, me, MC Little Rod, Kiki Walker, the boss talker, right? And the one yep. thing that we didn't cover was there was the Thursday night where, you know, when we talked about residency earlier. So we had three nights at the penthouse. It was uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right? I don't think we did Sunday, yep. did we? And if we did do Sunday, no. it was really mellow. It was more just hang out and play some jazz. No, no, I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, yeah, on Thursday nights, I don't know how it came about, but we did like a talent night. Dude, those are some of the best memories when that guy broke out and was singing Cherry Street. Cherry Street. Cherry <laughs> Street. The, well, we did we did different things on, on Thursday just to try to boost up business. It was talent night. They had karaoke night with, uh, what's her name, Paula? 
Oh, that she came in and hosted, right? Yeah, so they did that for a little while. Um, I forget what else with it that we tried. And I remember one night when it was on a Thursday. Remember when those ballroom dancing people came in? <laughs> <laughs> you remember that one? No, but I wish I did. So this, that because remember I would take Thursday nights off, but then I would come in every once in a while and hang out. I wish I would have seen more of the ballroom dancing. Oh man, I I totally forgot about yeah, it was that. Like, it was like it was like the Fred Astaire school of dance. Oh, or beautiful for ballroom oh. dancing, and some people that, from that group came in. Oh, I missed it. I would have liked to get yeah, some of that, that on classic. film. And that's another good example of the of just the DJ business and the club business is that you never know what's going to happen. Like, you know, here we are out of the blue. Then it's you know we're doing karaoke, and then you know we're doing talent show and then we're doing ballroom dancing just to try to generate some business on that Thursday but the Friday and Saturday nights were our bread and butter and it yeah yeah it just you know it just makes me think about the format and what was happening and you know earlier you had mentioned that you used to play basketball on Orcas so to give some people some context to that is that Orcas located in Columbia City in Seattle, like right by the, you know, the Rainier Beach area, a little bit more north than that, right? Right in that area, yeah. Columbia City. And then you, when I was making a joke about Cherry Street, Cherry Street would be down more towards the city. Central district. Yeah, in the central. And, you know, <clears throat> and, and during the late 80s and early 90s kind of had some you know questionable things going on on cherry street so when the guy broke out with cherry street cherry street we knew exactly what he was saying so (laughs) so you know so then you know going into that to where you know then there's a disagreement with not, not necessarily that they were coming at us hard but they're saying you guys need to change your format. And then all of a sudden, you know, for me and you, it's like, okay, here it goes again, right? And, you know, so we got together as a crew, all of us, Ronnie, Art, you, me, Kiki, and Rodney, and said, you know, what do you... And there was a couple other guys that were in there too, you know, and you would probably remember the names. What The guys that were in the picture... The one guy I can't remember. Um, David David Demise. Yeah, because he was hanging out all the time, and the, he was good friends with. Was it Rodney? That. Yeah, and then uh, John Knight. Yeah, John Knight. John. He he was there all the time yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So we we all got together and we decided, you know, what do we want to do? And we just decided that we were going to move on, and we didn't want to change the format because we believed in what we were doing, and we believed in our crowd, and we believed us as a crew so we decided that we were gonna how, how long were we there for do you remember i think it was about a year and a half does that make sense i know that i can't even remember dude so i can't remember that far back <laughs> you know if i get art i know it was a while if i get art or ronnie on and like i said i'm looking forward to ho- hopefully i get rodney on i'd love to hear rodney's story just about his mc you know just his experience yeah. and kiki walker the boss talker but i think one of those guys will know that answer um but to me, I, I, I think it's about a year and a half, maybe a little bit shorter. So we just decided, yeah. you know, I played that song by Naughty by Nature, OPP, and Kiki, who was a aspiring rapper, put together the song. I think we did it together. We just took an instrumental version of OPP, and rather being down with OPP, it was, are you down with PPP? And 
it's just we went out with a motherfucking bang, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, the and uh, I can't remember was it David or Rodney or somebody got together the coats that had the PPP logo on it and it said no sellout and it was just that was. I think I think that was art. Okay, yeah. So art, yeah. Props to art, man. Got to get art so on here. DJ uh-huh. Soho get his story too. So yeah, and then that was kind of the the you know just the end of the PPP saga at the Penthouse Lounge. And is there anything else that you'd like to say about the Penthouse Lounge? I think it was more healthy for us to get out of there just because of how much smoke was up in that joint. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's the thing I remember the most, man. It's like coming home smelling like a cigarette. I, I didn't even I didn't even touch on that. So once again, context to the story is that we were up on a fifth floor sky bar and there was glass windows and smoking was still legal inside nightclubs. Yep. And man, we would look on the glass because we were right by the window. We could look out right, right where the DJ turntables were set up. And we would look, and there would be dripping water and just a film. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, oh, man, it was gross. A film of nastiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nastiness, if you will. Yeah, so yeah. Um, other than that, do you just want to go out on a one last penthouse set? We'll, we'll put a little yeah. old school in here, okay? Paris, drop it. Taking you back. There's that old school influence again. This is the song I was talking about the other night, the portrait song. See, I don't remember us playing that that often, though. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it wasn't it wasn't one of the staples, but it was there enough. Yeah. It just reminds me of the vibe, you know. I got some more treats coming up for you guys. Breaking R. Kelly before he was R. Kelly.
DJ Soho's got it. Ronnie's got it. We need Rodney, man. Another one. Had to bring MC Little Rod in there. So that oh, yeah. was the voice of MC Little Rod. And that soundbite came from a get-together that we had a couple summers ago when all the, the guys from PPP got together. And, you know, I just, I the takeaway from there was just all the camaraderie and, you know, just living those old days and how much fun and what a great time it was in our lives back then, you know. Yep. So the evolution of DJ Psychoto. The penthouse goes down. We actually tried to do another situation where PPP got um, Ronnie hooked us up with another gig. He had, he had, um, you know, Ronnie was a baller, man. He got us into the rail. It was called Under the Rail. It was a huge warehouse downtown. A little bit too big, you know. We not that we bit off more that we can chew, but you know, you could put two hundred to three hundred people in there, and it would look like there was fifty people in the room, you know. Yeah. And it just that fizzled out. Nothing right or wrong. It just kind of fizzled out. And then so that was probably the biggest system we put together though. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And and Dana Dana Brown, a sound buddy of mine, came on and helped us put that together. And you know, it sounded good. We had those huge P V cabinets and a lot of power. Yeah. You know, remember me uh spanning the, the um trusses and putting up the lights again yeah (laughs) (laughs) just uh you know that those are just things that you did to try to get a show underway and i i can't remember how long we played there was it what about a couple weeks you know maybe a month and then it just fizzled out maybe a month yeah yeah yep you know i was just going through some different changes in in my life and you know business wise and i decided to take a break and then how did the sports world come about how did that was that another Ronnie Beltran situation where he put that together? Yeah, I think I think he had like known the again the manager at the sports world through his travel agency, and then you know saw that they had this one room that they usually rented out that they weren't doing anything with. Um, so he you know basically gave the guy the idea, hey, what if we turn that into a club and, you know, made the same agreement, you know, you guys make money off the bar, we make money off the door. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it's just pretty much just like the uh, penthouse lounge was. Um, but this one held more people. Um, it was a unique setup. And, uh, you know, we, we pretty much did the same thing that we did at the penthouse lounge, set up the club, put up the lights. Um, I did like the DJ booth better in that one than we did have at the penthouse lounge because it was off the floor away from the crowd and you could still see down into the crowd. So that was uh, the cool part about it. We actually had some promotional people come through. I think Nasty Ness came through before. Uh, DJ Punish came through. <laughs> Wawani. Um, so we had, you know, yeah, we had some people come through. And then what was that that TV show that they had? On the Cool Out Network. That's what it was. Nice. Was, was the Cool Out was the Cool Out Network on public television? Yeah, I think so. I think they were on like PBS or something. They would do their own show and kind of like uh, hype up the the, the uh, happening clubs at the time and or musical artists that were in you know that were local. Sports World was pretty pretty much booming. I mean, we probably probably could have went longer there. Same type um, of situation, right? I don't know if it had more to do with the music than it had to do with the crowd. Just there was just um, too many people coming in, and then being, it was yeah. so locate Sports World located in Kent, Washington. It was in I think an yeah, SRO of... SRO bowling alley, and they had you know, you know one thing that you you said w- was interesting to me because I was when I told you that story about being in New York City and being on the floor and you know looking up at the DJ who was in a loft type of situation I thought it was the coolest thing and I go back yeah. to um if you've ever seen the movie really want to really date myself thank god it's friday DJ Bobby Speed Donna Summer stars in the movie sings last last dance he had just the coolest DJ booth it was like hands holding an egg you know and here he is playing I was always <laughs> You know, at Club Broadway, Mike Joyce. Another, yeah, one I was going to say that one too. Yeah, one of the coolest DJ booths ever. I mean, you walked in this little that one looked like a jukebox. Didn't that one look like a, a jukebox? Yeah, yeah. And you would walk up these little stairs into like a DJ cockpit, and it was all enclosed. And for people that have never DJed in a club situation, it's really important to try to hear what you're doing. So. What's odd to me is when you're talking about this, and we can get into the city, uh, the um, not cities. What am I talking about? The uh, East Side Annex, where I went after the sports world and went it that direction, which is a whole nother story. And we probably need to get Big Daddy B on to talk about that. But yeah, the DJ booths were up high, and then like fashion changes. You know, you see go through different phases, and then all of a sudden, all the DJs wanted to be on the floor. And for us, not like we're dinosaurs, but that's just not our gig. We like to be away up high so we can see the dance floor we can hear what we're doing and when you're right on the floor it's harder than hell to hear what you're doing you know yeah not to mention you're right in the middle of the music so yeah the sports world was really cool it it, you know it man you guys were way up there and you had this little window that you looked out and then you had complete privacy so you could have all your records it was secure up there you had all your gear right and then the other thing too is that a new crew member came on DJ Disky Love, right? 
Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, love to get Derek on here, too. He's, he's got great stories to share in the DJ realm, talented DJ. You know, and it's the, the branches is kind of weird, too, is that earlier I told you the story about, you know, Chuck Ng at City East. Well, him and his partner who were involved in that club owned another club in Chinatown, which was a teen club. And that's when I first met Derek and Derek was playing at a club called Modern Systems. I'll never forget it. When I came in there with uh, Chuck and Jimmy and Derek was pounding out Rockberry Jam. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And you can uh, elaborate on that, but you know, you were so used to the crew because, you know, Ronnie and Art, Art, kind of got burned out. He kind of took a break like I did, like, okay, we're I'm just going to take a breather here. But it was Ronnie and Kiki and Rodney and you, and then you brought Disky on, you know, just to kind of do the dual tandem DJ thing. So, yeah, what what yeah. do you recall from, you know, just that whole realm? And, and kind of, like you said, a similar format, but just bringing a new crew member in that had his own style, you know? Yeah. That's the great thing about DJing, right? Just you have a different styles. I remember one of our biggest songs with Bump and Grind. Oh, man. <laughs> you know you know that when we just played that R. Kelly thing, we used to play Vibe when he first came out. And like I said, I'm cringing hearing it now. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I ended up going to a different club. It was, um, it was a teen club, and it was called the East, not the East Side Annex, right? <laughs> but I remember when 12 Play came out, it was absolutely huge. I mean, every song. Yeah, it blew up. Man. Yeah. But yeah, we were pretty much did the same thing there as what we did at, you know, at the penthouse. Anything that knew that was hot that came out, we were playing. Um, but again, we were on the R&B, hip-hop tip. And it wasn't there. It wasn't really the music. It was more the crowd um, because that we got so big. And the crowd was like lining up down the stairs outside the building and around the building, you know, at, at our biggest time of popularity. And even talking to some of the people, it was pretty insane how far away they were coming from to come club in there. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, people were coming from like Bremerton and, you know, I mean, that's a long drive to come to a club. That's the thing that surprised me the most is how far people would come, you know, to, to party there. And I, again, I, I think we could have went longer there um, if we, you know, followed what the management wanted to do at that time, which was, you know, not go past what the what the fire code was saying. Yeah, you know, I can share that experience. Like I mentioned, there was a, I was kind of just chilling and, some guy, you know, that I'd worked with in the in the entertainment industry, his name was Kelly Farnsworth, and, you know, Brian will get a kick out of that, but we have lots of stories we can share about Kelly Farnsworth, but, you know, he, Kelly had done some promotions at City East, and then he owned a couple nightclubs, and he called me up, he was in a DJ situation, I, I need some help, you know, and I, w- I went to go play for him, and then I started, I, I, then once again, I started a residency at um, the Eastside Annex, and that's where I met Brian. He, Brian was the the actually club manager. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that episode. There'll be some good stories as well. But uh, we, we, we would, uh, you know, I would end up, you know, once again, a different format type of things like we talked about earlier, the difference formats, you know, the, the penthouse lounge and the sports world format that, you know, we stayed true to on that. And then when I went to um, 
the East Side Annex, I got into a little bit more of an underground hip hop, you know, a little bit more down temp, and all that stuff was breaking, you know, the the Snoop Dogg and the Dre and the Easy E and all that stuff. But then I was also trying to incorporate some dance hall into that, the Shaba Ranks and the Patra and that. And I can remember at about every Saturday night at one o'clock in the morning, I'd do a break dancing set and there were breakers and it was, you know, it was a teen club thing, but it would just, you know, coming out of a slow set, here comes the planet rock, here comes the nucleus and just being up in that DJ perch and checking out the kids, extremely talented break dancers and just like, well, like, wow, this is cool, you know, and when you're playing every single weekend like that, you know, it's those little uplifting things that kind of get you through it, you know, because you get you can get the DJ burnout thing going. So I can remember asking people saying um, and I, people that aren't familiar with the area, Redmond, Washington, where Microsoft is located. And at that point in time, in the early 90s, Microsoft is just really starting to blow up, but it's not even close to what it is today. And people were coming yeah. from, you know, 30 miles away, Tacoma, Bainbridge, Olympia, because they all wanted to get a taste of this breakdancing thing. Because when you think about it, there's no other club that's going to be popping off. So that's just kind of a weird thing, how those things happen in certain nightclubs. And to get back to your, you know, sports world thing is that, you know, kind of the same situation, like you said, and you can give me the breakdown by, I remember there was a little disagreement very similar to the penthouse about, okay, there's too many people in coming in. You guys have got to cap this. And I, I know that there was probably a disagreement where like, Hey, let's just kick back and make the money or no, we're not going to do that. And we're just going to, and how did that work out for you? Yeah. I mean, that was my thing was just kick back, follow what they want and make the money, you know, and, and we can still be comfortable. Let us run it. And keep making the money rather than trying to break the rules and, you know, put more people in. Um, so that's kind of how it went down. And, you know, went, we, we went like that for a little while, kept the numbers pretty straight. Um, and then when, you know, when he got back, uh, things basically went back to the same old way where we were overpacking, <laughs> If you weren't following their rules, then they were going to say, hey, you guys are done here. And that's pretty much what happened as far as I know. If you can't follow our rules, then we can't have a business. That's how, you know, sports world went down as far as I can tell. Yeah. After the sports world, you know, I was pretty much done with the scenario. I was getting too old to do those, <laughs> <laughs> those long-ass days. You know, working the nine to five and then doing that after the night, it's like burns you out. So I pretty much got out you know, of it. I think about that too. I can remember being at the at the Eastside Annex, and you know, I I had you know paid my dues, and I was making you know not the greatest, but I was making a pretty good salary. You know, there was nights where I could pull yeah. down a pretty good salary with my agreement. And but I can remember being you know you think about the age we are now and thinking about like I was you know just a turned 30, you know, right around that. And I was thinking, oh man, do I really want to be in a teen club every weekend? What, what am I doing with my social life? But then I think about all the cool people that I met, you know, and, you know, a great friend in Brian and just, you know, all the people that I knew through the East side, it was a great experience, you know, and then getting back to the thing about, um, you know, the Cinco de Mayo incident, because I know that you, uh, are fond of this story. 
So I'd mentioned Bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd mentioned the thing about um you know, we had talked about the cube radio and the radio spots and I just, you know, talked about, you know, the money that we're making and when you're when you're playing in a, in a when you're playing in a club and you're a resident DJ, you know, it's a grind. So the East Side Annex would, you know, I would show up at, and fortunately, usually it's like 8.30 or 9 to 1.30 in the morning. At the East Side, I wouldn't have to start playing till 10. So it would be a 10 to 2 o'clock type of thing, you know, with the first hour being pretty mellow, just playing, you know, some slow songs, people getting into the club. But, you know, it, it, it's a grind and you're, you're working, you know, it's nonstop. As soon as you touch those turntables, if you don't have a DJ buddy, like we would be a crew, you know, we could go off of each other. It was just me. That was it. So it was, you know, nonstop 10 o'clock to two every single night. So when you would get a radio DJ come in and whether it was, you know, Kelly Farnsworth had hired cube radio to do a record spot. And basically what they do is that they come out and they get on the microphone that you're supplying at the club and they're like, Hey, I'm so-and-so with cube 93. We're blowing it up at the East side annex. Hey, let me, see you you know whatever they're doing right and uh, so at that point in time I talked about I was playing you know a hip-hop format Biggie Smalls was breaking Big Papa wait wait wait. I gotta ask you something first Uh, okay yeah how much because I remember you said they were getting paid a lot just to show for like 15 minutes right oh yeah yeah (laughs) like like a crazy amount for 15 minutes and And that, that's the thing that I'm like, that sucks. <laughs> well, well, okay, that's exactly it. That's kind of like where I was going with that story is that as a DJ, you're grinding it out. And, you know, and I had, you know, like I said, a pretty good salary, but not even close to what the radio DJs would make just to come out and get on the mic and say something stupid. Hey, it's it's so-and-so with Cube 93. Hey, let me hear you say hey. Right. You know, and then it'd be like, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. Take care. And then they'd be out because they fulfilled whatever yep. their contractual agreement was. And you're just looking at them yep. like, okay, that motherfucker just got $2,000 and I'm grinding it out every single night, you know, making a couple hundo, right? So, so, uh-huh. yeah. so um, you know, and at that time, you know, like I'd mentioned, Big Papa was starting to come out and there was a lot of down-tempo sets that we were playing. And, and when we talk about down-tempo, when we were talking about BPMs earlier, you know, you might be down in the, you know, 98 99 building your way up to 104 ice cube you know whatever but usually i would you know if you have a really big song and that's another thing that we didn't really cover but there's some nights when you play that you might base your entire set around one song that you want to blow up this one song or you're you're waiting for that big thing when am i going to drop this song because when i drop this song i know it's going to boom right and there would be right. times when you would you, you would play a song, and I, I'll get back to that a little bit when you're trying to break a song, but I want to get back to this radio thing. So um, Big Papa came out, and as you know, sampled between the sheets from the Isley Brothers, and I had the radio host in the house, um, and I'm being good not saying any names. You can, you can feel free to say names if you want. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, uh, this is my thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up Big Papa tonight. You know, I got I got Cube Radio in the house. I'm gonna let them see what the East Side is all about. You know, and I'm gonna drop Big Papa. So I decided I was in a slow set. They're in the booth talking to me. You know, hey, what's up, man? Good to see you. Da 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 da. You know, I'm making my money. And uh, so I play Isley Brothers between the sheets. 
and then I'm going to do something cool where I'm just going to transist, which you would rarely do out of a slow song, but I'm mixed into Big Papa coming out of Isley Brothers. And the radio right. DJ says, oh, man, what new song were you playing? What slow song did you play? And I just kind of looked at him and said, uh, that's the Isley Brothers, dude. <laughs> I, I know that that story didn't sit too well with you. <laughs> no, so when you told me that story, I flew off the handle. Because anyone that knows me knows that, like, all these, like, again, I say any of these radio stations that claim they know and are all about the old school do not know Jack. <laughs> if this guy basically says, who is that new cut that you just dropped and doesn't know it's the Isley Brothers where Big Papa was sampled from, he don't know his old school. <laughs> And then what? So what cuts us like as a knife is that they're getting on the radio saying that they do. They're saying that they've known. You know, they're all about the old school, which is to them is like 1995. (laughs) You know, again, none of their old school goes back to the 1980s when we had the best music, the best bands. I mean, there's a tons of stuff they can play from the 80s, like the time. You know. Lakeside, Confunction, all of that stuff, the Daz Band, all of those great bands that they haven't even skimmed, skimmed the top off yet to play on the radio. I'll give you an example of just with DMX passing away recently. Oh, yeah, they're hyping this on the radio station, saying, oh, rest in peace, DMX. Yeah, you're resting, saying rest in peace, but you guys never played his music. Yeah. You know, I can guarantee you never played his music because it was like had to be edited, but I never heard no DMX on Cube, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And then all the music that they were playing currently were all sampled from old school bands, but yet they will claim, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this is the new song, but do you know where the old music that got sampled came from? I can guarantee you 90% of them don't. Yeah, you know, I got I I have a couple of things that are flashing through my head right there. Mm. You know, I might speaking of the East Side Annex, I might have to give you a Brian quote. He's like, "Dude, you are playing Lakeside on your boombox." Hit that something he would say. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but you know, it reminds me what was what was the song? I can't remember. Like Slam da Donna Onyx, right? Yeah, there, yeah. there was a time where Kelly said, uh, dude, you, you can't play that anymore. It's just it, the kids are getting into a frenzy. You're way out of control with this. You know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's it's kind of when you're at a crossroads and you're, you're thinking about format because, you know, just like you're trying to be a responsible person and, you know, you're thinking like, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to play what's hot. I'm playing what's happening. I'm playing what's in, you know. And here I am in yeah. Redmond, Washington, you know, which enough to be said there, right? And the whole Snoop Dogg, Dre thing is going on, and there's a big battle with Eazy-E. And if you know your old school hip-hop, then you know what I'm referring to. But there was a there was a song called Real Motherfucking G's, right? And, yeah. you know, Down Tempo, it's a perfect mix set. All the kids wanted to hear it because it it's what was happening. And, you know, you might have some reservations, like, okay, this isn't the most positive music, but that's that's what's happening right now. That's what they want to hear. That's what they want to dance to, you know? And it's music. And I'll never forget, man, it was like this after the whole Onyx situation, and I was playing, you know, 
Real Motherfucking G's by Eazy-E, and the Redmond police came into the booth and shut my mixer <laughs> down. <laughs> and I was, nice. you know, and he's talking about like a format meeting. It's like, you know, after that, it was, okay, here's another me- here's another management meeting with DJ PRSD about format because, you know, we've got to corral him. And it's almost like, okay, I'm feeling like, am I an artist here? It's like, I'm just, I'm just trying to play some cuts, guys. Right? Yeah. So, okay, well, well, you know, and speaking of the East Side, because we'll transition into where we can just, you know, get to the end of some funny stories here. But I, you, I was working for Kelly, and I was also, you know, playing on a number of softball teams, and I had to take a weekend off. And I reached out to you, my good buddy, DJ buddy. I said, hey, man, could you fill in for me this week? And I went to go play in this, um, in this softball tournament. Why don't you repeat what message you left on my phone when I re- returned home on that Sunday from that <laughs> softball tournament in Vancouver, Washington? I believe it was something like, Dude, you just got fired from the annex and you weren't even there. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of my favorite quotes because, you know, so you left that on my machine is that when I got home and I, and that's one thing that I really do miss about, I love cell phones and the technology, but one thing that I do really miss is the answering machine concept of being out all day and then coming home and pressing play and getting funny messages. And I've been known to leave some funny <laughs> messages as well. But yeah, I got home and I had this message on you like, uh, yeah, you might want to check what's going on at the East Side because you just got fired. And you said, and I grabbed all your stuff and it's in your house and you had brought it to my house and, you know, and left it, you know, and I said, oh man. And, um, but you had left the same thing on my thing. And then when, and then when I hooked up with you, you told me the story of is that Kelly went, flew off the handle and it had something to do about a laser that was gone or something. And he thought I stole the laser and I was out playing. Who stole my laser? Yeah. And it's like, is is everyone's fired? Yeah. Is is Paris gigging? (laughs) Is he, is Paris playing somewhere else? And he didn't tell me and he's making money here and making money there. I'm like, dude, I'm playing in a softball tournament. And then, uh, there was a, a buddy of ours, DJ Lil E, and I think, it, and Fobby Joe, all these nicknames, just like we were talking about with the old school rap groups. And uh, they said, well, well, is Paris fired too? Yeah, he's fired too. <laughs> and, and then <laughs> Kelly fires you. And then you said, I don't even work here. I said, you ain't paying me shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I was paying you some money for filling in, but yeah, I, I just, it was bizarre. So that was actually the end of the East Side Annex uh, era for me. And then, you know, Kelly kind of did some silly stuff like, oh, I want you to come back. But it was just, it was just the natural evolution. And that was, that was, I, who would have known that that would have been the last time I actually had a residency anywhere playing and that was it. And it was just time to move on. And with that being said, Ronnie Beltran, the guy that we had done a number of clubs with, you know, you PPP, the group PPP and then the penthouse lounge and you at sports world, he continued to do more clubs and we would go visit him every once in a while and go to some of those clubs. And I think he did like maybe three, two or three after that. Yeah, so what was the infamous club in Renton that we went to one night? If you want to go, if you want to get into the one of your favorite stories that involved me and Hennessy. Was it was it was it called Chopsticks or something? I think so. It was it I can't was I remember what the Yeah, wasn't it owned it by like, a, an Asian lady and she 
and she yeah. she had brought Ronnie in and was it Derek and Kiki and Rodney? Were they doing their thing yep, there? Yeah. You know, just like the formula is that, you know, you you have polarizing personalities and energy that's going to bring people in and get a good vibe is that they were doing it once again. And we decided to go visit them at the club. And, you know, I've been known to, you know, highly attracted to African-American women. And I was sitting at the bar. <laughs> So yeah, so Ronnie and his group are playing, you know, playing the cuts at the club, and me and you basically didn't have. We were we were pretty chill, and we we're just heading out for the for the weekend. We're like, hey, let's go see what Ronnie and those guys are doing um, where they're at. So we go hit up the club and walk in, and you know, say hello to to our boys. So like we're waiting we're waiting in the line to get our, our drink on and. Like, you know, we're maybe about five, six people back. And then the lady that owns the restaurant slash club is the one bartending. And, you know, she she probably don't see many Asian faces up in there very often. <laughs> <laughs> so she sees me in the crowd, you know, standing back. Not to mention with a silly white boy, too. <laughs> waves me over to the front and, you know, hey, what you want? I'm like, a couple glasses of Henny. <laughs> You know, so we got we got our drinks on, and then <clears throat> you know, next couple of times we went up there, we were getting a little bit twisted, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. And then as we're as we're sitting at this one table, there's um, four girls sitting together, and they ask us, "Hey, can you do us a favor and take this picture?" And then my boy Nels right here <laughs> goes, "Can I get in that picture?" <laughs> And he, and they said, yeah. So, I, like, you know, all four of them kind of gathered around him. So I took a picture of all five of them. Um, and all four of them are surrounding now. And it's like, hey, check this out. And then after that, he starts masking with this one girl. And I'm kind of looking at him, shaking my head, you know, because the other ones looked okay and stuff. But I'm, I'm looking at now, shaking my head. And, he's, you know, he's not catching on. And then later on, after they leave, he comes over to me. He goes, "Hey, was the chick I talking to? Was she all right?" And I'm like, "Dude, that's all I was shaking my head. I was trying to warn you, man. You were in big sister mode. I I, I, I quoted it as BSM mode, and and he's like, "What's BSM mode?" And I said, "That's big sister mode, man. You was like macking on the biggest girl. You was macking on the biggest girl out of the group. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with that. Everybody needs love, my man." Oh, and, then, and then I checked with him the next day, and <laughs> he has no recollection of what went on other than the picture. <laughs> that was a crack up. Well, dude. that and I was enjoying some <clears throat> Hennessy with my new friend, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, the, when you tell the other the other funny story that I think about too is when you're talking about that is that we had also went down to another club that Ronnie was doing, and I I don't even know if you remember this one. It was somewhere like in the Kent Valley. And it was yeah, like it's over by Sherry's down there off of yeah, uh, off yeah, off of that Sherry's diner, and it was it just like in a strip mall, and it was a cool club. They had they had it really done nice up inside and cool bar, and me and you were hanging out there, and we we weren't getting overly twisted that night. We were just hanging out, but um yeah, you know we always talk about. I had mentioned you know Rodney and Kiki and you and Ronnie and Art and you know just the the energy and you know the polarizing personality is that i walked yeah. out of the club and there was a girl 
and she was kissing a guy and and I you know I, I'm like oh that kind of caught my attention and she looked at me and she said ooh I do vanilla too I do vanilla too <laughs> that's that's another one of our famous quotes so h- how do you want to go out with this how do we do this how do we wrap up this whole DJ episode with DJ Psychado here on the Nest Pod I know one person you forgot to talk about who's that the so-called self self-proclaimed manager owner of Park Place Productions, DJ Pooh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. D- yeah, DJ Pooh, he had some history at uh, the Eastside Annex, too. But, yeah, he, you know, it's it. You know, re- referring to that is that I think that the way that I'll address that is that you do meet a lot of interesting people in this business, you know, and, and it's all good. It's all good because it's just, you know, you, it's kind of like athletics or, or being in a band or DJing. It's just that you yeah. meet all kinds of people from all walks of life. And I've, I've enjoyed the ride, right? It's been a good ride. Yeah. So, yeah, man, it, you know, the only thing I was thinking about, is there anything else that you want to say just about your experience as a DJ and going through this whole crazy ride? Uh, man, I, I don't think I would uh, change a thing, though. Yeah. I mean, it, it was fun. I'll put it that way. It was fun. It was an experience. Um, you know, we made a lot of good friends through it. You know, we're all still homies, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> um, I do take credit for saving your ass at the art bar from falling through a plate glass <laughs> window. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we didn't we didn't touch on that story. We will we, if we do a second pod, we'll we'll go on that. But um, I had a girlfriend that opened up a bar down in Seattle, Washington. It was called the Art Bar, and it kind of, you know, with our story and our evolution, it kind of goes along with, you know, at that point in time, we were doing sound reinforcement. And she'd asked, you know, could you help us with some sound stuff? And we played there a couple times. And once again, a different yeah. format, we decided like, you know, uh, the girl's name is Julie. And she said, you know, what, what do you want us to do? And she's like, well, I'm really thinking about a disco format. And then we came and we just, you know, speaking of the love for old school, we just played all of the cuts that we had come up on, you know, and we just took it into yeah. a disco realm. And, and once again, it was the right format for the right crowd. And people coming in there was digging the, the disco thing that we were providing. And then after that, we, we did help them with some sound reinforcement installation. And then yeah. they took it to another level after us because they, it really started blowing up for them, the format down there. But I never, I never really know what happened to the whole art bar thing. It just finally ran its course, just like most bars do, right? It was interesting because I had read like an article, like I would say maybe a month or two ago, where this local DJ passed away, but he used to play down at the art bar. Oh, I'm like, hey, <laughs> man, yeah, that's brutal. I mean, you know, it's it's good for us to get that reference, but feel for him and his family, you know. And a little shorty forty dog, remember that? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, the the art bar had a good crew, man. They were doing their thing, and uh, yeah, you know, I think about, you know, we were talking about format and stuff, and I was talking about Big Papa and the, you know, having that one song, and then the other thing I was thinking about when we were talking about format is how. If you had a song which could apply to the Latin hip hop freestyle stuff, or maybe it was a certain cut that was breaking during the penthouse, but if you really wanted to break that song and you didn't know if your crowd was ready for it, you would try to intertwine it with one real popular song. So yeah. when I was talking about, and I'll, I'll play it on the way out, okay? Um, 
I was really trying to hit that dance hall stuff, the Shaba ranks and the, the Shaggy and all that stuff when that was starting to come into its own. There was a Shaba rank song that I really wanted to hit hard, which is called Shine Eye Gal. And I would choose a, a part of the night, you know, wh- whether I was just coming out of Big Pop or some big rap song that was happening during that time. And then it had such a great DJ intro as I would mix into it. And then it would be that part of the night, say it was after the breakdancing competition that was going on. You know, maybe you're just kind of down-tempoing out to the end of the night, right? I can just remember yeah. just kind of chilling, just listening to that song, loving that song, and checking out the floor. And whether I was ending with that song or if I was going to go into another slow set, I, I just remember those feelings, you know. Same thing at the penthouse, you know, just kind of kick back when it was really happening, just going, wow, this is happening right now. Those are kind of the takeaways that I get. I don't know about you. The thing that I remember still is like, you know, you'll see people that used to come clubbing out to those every once in a while. If they recognize you, it's like, hey, I remember you from back in the day at the penthouse or you know, something like that. Like, we remember Claudia used to come out to, to the, the penthouse a couple of times, and then she was at the, um, the sports world a couple of times with her sisters. So, you know, they always remember clubbing back in the days. Speaking of, like, Claudia, I mean, you have connections to South High School, and, you yeah. know, and I, and I, you know, I know they're married to the Rose brothers and I know them real well coming up. And it's one of those things that whenever I see her, she's always asking me about DJing or asking me about wall jams. You know, she had been to the wall jam parties. Yeah. That's the cool thing about running into people. And it's, it's kind of like when Terry and I were talking about the band thing, you know, there's just these roots and there's connections that you make. And that's what I was touching on just about the business and meeting all these people. I met, I've got lifelong friends that I've met in the business and that's cool. You know, you're one of them, man. And then, <clears throat> yeah. And then, like Arthur Antonio is another one. Oh, I knew yeah. I grew up with him in high school, and then he goes, you know, played with Terry and those guys. So it's it's all a big circle of buddies. <laughs> yeah, man. And that's why when uh, you know, speaking of crocodile Kate, you know, that's how you got that nickname because we were, I think, we were playing a mobile for it might have been Terry's brother Chad or something. I we were doing something <laughs> for them. Yeah, and you came through the weeds and. You came, you were, you went out to go get something from the car. Like, Hey man, I, I need to get some batteries for the microphone or something. I left some in the car and then you come walking through and, and Terry says, is that crocodile Kate? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. One of the many nicknames. <laughs> I know you and me both. I want to thank you for coming on and, you know, sharing your experience and Hey man, it's, it's all good, dude. All right, brother. Well, who's your, who's your artist of, of now? Who do you like? Oh man, Musically. it's a great question. I'm I'm enthralled by a Jamaican artist named Savannah, who that's that's number one on my playlist right now. So when we're done, I'll send you a link. You can check it out. <laughs> it kind of fits with that reggae thing, talking about the Shaba thing. But you know, just the the YouTube phenomenon as I came across her and watched a couple videos, and you know, it's a uh, it's a movement going down there where you know, they're trying to incorporate a little bit more R&B groups and there's a big production company. I forget the name of them, you know, like Dig Productions or something. And they're, they just, they're a force of producing these artists that kind of right. have a unique sound and I love it. Yeah. How I, about you? I think mine, 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 my two would be Bruno Mars and Dua Lipa. 
Nice. Yeah, I love Bruno, man. Just because both of them are kind of using that old school vibe feel with their music. Oh, yeah. I've seen some of the new stuff that's out, you know, all like the production, the songwriting, the feel, the performance, everything about it. It's just on point, you know? Yeah. And great performer. Anything that has pretty much anything that has an old school feel to it, man, I'm into it. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's that's us now. We are old school, man. <laughs> we we've went from we need new to school. come out with our own radio station, dude. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, we should try to put some type of YouTube streaming thing together. That would be cool. We could do it. Yeah. All right, brother. I appreciate your time, man. All right, cousin. I'm gonna um, slide on out of here with some Shaba Rank Shine Eye Gal. All right, bro.
Thank you very much. I'm good. Mm, mm, mm. Now that sounded good. Podcast segments pulled and edited by Nesworks. Brought to you by Nelcore Technologies. Technology to the T. Bringing you the content you desire, the content you need. It's a doing dollar. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Nelly, you so crazy. Uh, you're playing uh, too much rap and hip-hop there, guy. You know me, freestyle till I die, man. We went out with a motherfucking bang, right? <laughs>